0: Happy New Year, Mike. Happy New Year, Peter. So, last year we recorded a podcast with Steel Scouts. How did you, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was really good. Why? Um, because, to be honest with you,
1: I didn't really, obviously, I knew about the model um, of what they were trying to do, but I was just skeptical of it because I thought if someone had rang me from another stockholder, you know, or a distributor and says, can you deliver this to my end user? First thing I'd kind have of done once I'd delivered it would have gone, you know, do you want to buy from me directly? Yeah. And I couldn't quite understand why people wanted to kind of buy into, you know, why you'd want a competitor delivering on their lorry to your customer. But then obviously it was more about, well, actually the stockholders are guaranteed to get paid. Yeah. It was about, the people who are buying the material actually want to use this system because they're guaranteed to buy buying at the best rates every time. yeah, it saves them having to shop around. Um, and also, they're not just, as much as they say they're a tech company, there's still the option where you can ring up and speak to an account manager. You don't always have to be buying through the website.
0: I think we we both shifted our opinions, didn't we, over the course of the pod? Which means they have done a good job of selling it. That's right, yeah, yeah. Better than me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll run some of the uh, clips and enjoy the podcast.
2: Enjoy. That uh, digital adoption has been accelerated, sort of five years worth of adoption has been accelerated, just eight weeks back in June. You know, that's how quickly people had to pivot from doing what they were doing to suddenly being in lockdown and having to find a new way of working.
3: We were in an excellent position at the start of the pandemic to switch our entire team to a remote-only setup very, very quickly. Many of the suppliers in the market took difficult decisions to either close completely or in some cases reduce their activity levels but we took that opportunity to continue operating at full capacity the end users must give them such benefits so that you're always buying at the best
1: price each month with material going up or if it's coming down they're always seeing the benefits straight away aren't they you
0: can say we car when you meet him you're like that's a guy who's definitely married <laughs> a, a considerable one in his career <laughs> Hey guys, uh, Pete Comerford and Mike Bolton. And the Metal Guys. We're today joined by Steel Scout. Thanks for coming down guys. We've got Carl Evans. Carl, you've been with Tata most of your working career, but with a brief stint out um, at Amazon for 18 months. Uh, and Neil Harvey, you joined the team two years ago at Steel Scout, worked in digital most of, well, all your career, and you may have... May have heard of a couple of projects he's worked on. He's worked with FutureLearn, PayPal. Did a bit of work with GSK as well. So this is another uh, big brand venture for you to uh, get your teeth into. Thanks for joining us.
3: Yeah.
0: Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. If we can just start, because some people might not know who are Steel Scout and how did Steel Scout come about?
2: Yes. In a nutshell, Steel Scout is a digital solutions provider for buyers and suppliers in the metal sector. Uh, we launched back in 2017 with the aim of making metal procurement easier and more efficient for both buyers and suppliers. Uh, where we came about, so back in 2016-17, Tata was working with a, uh, a consultancy called BCG, who are sort of specialists in market change, and they were um, had identified specific inefficiencies in the market that needed addressing. And uh, from from that exercise, uh, both Metal Hub. Uh, and Steel Scout were born, which uh, later became Steel Scout Direct and Steel Scout Procure.
0: Because you've obviously put in, like, you haven't just had a go at this with small budget and small teams, you've, you've really dived straight into this. So it's a big decision. <laughs> you know, you've got offices down in London, you've got teams of people working, doing tech design for, you. you've got a lot of guys working on the team, like lot of salespeople. Did, did someone have to pitch right to the top of the company to kind of get this to happen? Or, or was it just something that a few people got together and decided that they were going to do? You now, how, how did it actually
3: happen and go from an idea into yeah, this is a concept that we're definitely going to run with? So the the, the sponsorship within um, within Tata Steel is goes right the way up to the, the, the top of the uh, top of the business. So yeah. you know, it was the 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 business uh, itself was um, you know, backed and. Supervised by Tata Steel's uh, Tata Steel Europe's board, and, uh, and therefore, uh, you know, we, we've we've had that we've had that backing uh, to to really go in there and, uh, and and do this properly because there was no point in, there was no point in doing this unless you were going to go out and you know really try to make a success of it because we know and you guys know that uh, there have been many attempts in the past of trying to bring the metal industry on that journey towards uh, you know, digital and to embrace technology and uh, you know, there have been a few false starts to say the least. in the in the industry you know since the late 90s early 2000s so you know if you're going to do it properly then if you're going to do it then you need to do it properly
1: i was going to say just like anyone who's not an engineering people listening to this podcast i mean briefly what steel scout what is the model that you're trying to what you have created
3: in three and a half years and and what it is really Um, so if we take so we've got a number of a number of solutions and services that we offer in the market. If we take uh, SteelScout Procure, which is the original SteelScout concept that we launched back in 2017, uh, we operate as a quoting a, a platform uh, for both buyers and sellers to uh, interact with one another. So, a steel buyer or a metal metal buyer can provi- can enter in their requirement, uh, their, their inquiry. And that inquiry will then—we've got our software will then will then identify every supplier within our network that is able to satisfy the requirement for that quotation. Not necessarily the whole whole job. Our software also will break the job out into its component parts, and then identify the correct suppliers within our network. In order to do that, we can then collate all of those requirements together as a single quote for the buyer, and therefore we. Bring that efficiency for the buyer of them having to enter in their de- enter their details and their requirements in once, but us go out to the market and find. A number of prices and a range of different ways of fulfilling that order, um, in order to find the best deal for the customer.
1: And is that both in mild steel, stainless, aluminiums?
3: So we so we started off with just mild steel. It's very much where uh, our, exactly. Yeah. It's very much where the uh, the experience within our team started started off with. Uh, but back last year, we uh, expanded our uh, offering to include. Uh, stainless steel aluminium yellow metals etc so you know we provide the whole suite of uh, metal metal products um, albeit mild steel is still very much our our core um, business and core offering at the moment so we're still very much growing in the multi-metals market as we as we as we speak
0: we we were chatting before we started the podcast at length through but we've we've talked a lot about covid this has really given you a bit of a a unique opportunity for your business um, because your business model works well with this set of particular circumstances can you talk to us about the impact that covid has had for steel scout or on steel scout yeah
2: covid uh, has affected i wouldn't say that there's any business that hasn't been affected by covid Absolutely. and like in any situation uh, some businesses you know are positively affected some adversely we've actually experienced growth since you know the beginning of covid because well, one of the key reasons is that it's really driven the adoption of digital technologies and services across most industries sectors you know mm-hmm. uh, while well, b2c and b2b is really digital has become uh, really really uh, widely accepted uh, very very quickly, mm. and I think we'll talk about it later. But there's a, you know that quote from the McKinsey report uh, yeah. back in back in June, which says that uh, digital adoption has been accelerated. Sort of five years worth of adoption has been accelerated just eight weeks back in June. You know that's how quickly people had to pivot from doing what they were doing to suddenly being in lockdown and having to find a new way of working mm. and that's really sort of helped us uh, convey our, our message and our, you know, our capability to our, our audience and they've really embraced it so there's an opportunity there which has been created by COVID which uh, you know, we wouldn't have wished to have happened but has, has actually benefit, benefited us in, in that respect
0: Yeah well, um, If we kind of look, because you, you did a study which we were having a look at or um, you sent to me and a month ago, this study was done. The impact of COVID nineteen on manufacturing and supply chains was named the study. and we'll, we'll link this in the podcast mm-hmm. for people that want to have a you know read of it. I'm interested to see how things would have changed since June mm-hmm. when, when this study was done. But what do you think have been the the, the big learning? You know, the big learnings that you've you found since COVID hit. How have you changed your business? How is it? You know, talk about maybe some of the successes that you've had. Particularly, you know, we were chatting quite a lot about shortages in the metal industry and how that's allowed you, with your huge network of suppliers, to again maybe take advantage of that. You just tell us a little bit about the impact, um, again, that COVID's had.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, due to the nature of uh, our business and the wide geographical distribution of our team, uh, you know, and the fact we've got flexible, you know, we, flexible working and remote working is something that has been. That we had already embraced you know, long before uh, the, the pandemic. So we were in an excellent position at the start of the pandemic to switch our entire team to a remote only setup very, very quickly. Uh, I think that in turn allowed us to focus on really supporting our customers during that early phase of the, the pandemic. And which was give us a, a really a kind of major advantage uh, right at the beginning. And as many suppliers, and we were discussing, uh, discussing earlier, many of the suppliers in the market took difficult decisions to either close completely or, in some cases, reduce their activity levels. But we took that opportunity to continue operating at full capacity, uh, help many of our customers, uh, particularly those providing Products and services into key sectors. So a lot of fabricators, a lot of engineering companies were starting to pick up contracts going into uh, you know, the, the NHS or going into infrastructure projects that were still being worked on. And uh, we were we were able to really fulfil those needs at the start um, of the of, of the of the pandemic. And as we came out of that, as we emerged from the first wave of of COVID-19, we felt that it was a really worthwhile exercise for us to reach out and to touch base with the market to really understand where people's heads were at in, mm-hmm. in terms of business confidence, how their order books look in, how did they feel, how are they how are they being affected by that initial three-month Period when the entire nation was on lockdown, and you know what were their feelings towards being able to recover their order books, and and how, how essentially how they, you know, how was the business confidence uh, looking across a section of our uh, target customer base as we came out of that first wave of the of the pandemic, and, and as you said, mm. um, it'd be great to maybe take. Uh, another snapshot. Yeah, it be really interesting. Another now snapshot now, out. and maybe even another snapshot as we come out of the come out of the winter winter period to to really understand that. But you know, our our, our research did show that despite all of the disruption that had happened during that first uh, three months, um, including all of the shutdowns, and temporary closures, uh, the um, you know the companies that we spoke to were. Really, really positive about um, about the outlook. You know, optimism was running uh, was, was running really was running really high. I think the majority of respondents um, actually said that they felt that they would return to business as usual by the middle of 2021. Now, as we said, um, if they if they all feel the same way now, at the cusp of us potentially going into uh, a period where restrictions will, will be reintroduced. Uh, that that viewpoint might have changed, but I think it really did demonstrate to us that the robustness of the UK's engineering and manufacturing base was was still really quite strong, and there was still quite a lot of optimism coming out of that first wave, uh, which, was, uh, which was important.
0: Was there anything that kind of came out of this report that you were surprised by, or did you pretty much look at what you thought was going to be in this report prior and it it was just a reflection of what your opinions were yourself was there anything that you saw and thought oh actually we weren't aware of that maybe we can kind of jump on that because there is
3: a need or a requirement for something different i think we we were surprised by the extent to which suppliers in the industry had decided to close or reduce their activity levels but the survey itself actually Demonstrated that there was a much much wider problem that companies were seeing in terms of being able to source them, and get their hands on the materials, you know, and not necessarily just uh, metal, but just getting their hands on the materials that they needed um, during that period of time. And there was a lot of frustration around, you know, what ha- what had happened to the supply chain, and that you know, we could see that there was a demand there for you know greater vis- greater visibility uh, buyers starting to acknowledge the fact that they needed to have more a more robust uh, network yeah. of um, <coughs> suppliers supply supplying into them and, and, a, and a much, much stronger supply chain. Um, and, you know, I think <coughs> then... Speaking to them specifically about how they would want to um, access, how they might how they might work with a service such as Steel Scout. You know, they, they wanted any digital channel that was going to come to really give them the the reliability that they need, um, both in terms of that supply chain visibility and also the the supply security. And and, and you know, without those two things, they. Didn't really want to interact with you know with with a digital platform because you know that 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 that's the whole essence of the value proposition it would need to be really, really 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 strong. So
1: how how quick was your business changing then during these times? I mean, obviously you said there's a lot of companies. Well, not a lot, but there's a, a selection of stockholders who decided to close for a period of time. There was obviously manufacturing sites and engineering companies who also took the same viewpoint to do so. I mean, how? What was it like working at Steel Scout in that time, where you can obviously see there's going to be a a big demand on yourselves for that transparency, as you said? But I mean, was the things changing quickly? Was you having to go at such more of a quicker pace than where you've where you've been, you know, three and a half years prior, really? Uh,
3: Yeah. So the the big shift that we saw in the first two or three months was that shift from us going out to the market and trying to sell our service and trying to generate demand through conversations with leads and with potential clients to all of a sudden there being a lot more demand for our services and people were people were coming to find us and were interested to know so it was re, it was really flipping our kind of trying to flip our business model around from being very very outbound to all of a sudden having a more blended mix of inbound and outbound which is great and that's how, how you'd want things to happen but that Literally changed overnight for us, you know where we went from being very much going out and prospecting our own business to all of a sudden the business was 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 coming to us Flooding so, again mm-hmm. yeah. yeah absolutely and and that that in itself you know it, it was an ex- you know an exciting time we're still living with that um t- to this day uh, especially with uh, different challenges in the in the in the mild steel sector in particular right now with uh with shortages uh, but um you know that did require us to change a lot of our uh, practices and processes in order to handle the um, the inbound volume and the the customs reaching out to us a lot more than than, than we were used to. Because yeah. I presume
1: when you're sorry when you're targeting the business, you're going for the bit that you know you can where your strengths are. I suppose when you're having the inbounds coming through to both of you, you're getting such a wide variety of products, materials, grades, and specifications that actually it's a different. It must have been a different headache. It's
3: time-consuming as well, yeah. isn't it, putting those packages together? It's, it's it's kind of doing, and it's it's a it's it's about making sure that you're doing the the due diligence piece right around when you're speaking to customers and what they want. Because when you go out to them, you get a lot more time. You know, the, the, when we reach out to buyers, they don't buy from us the same day that we first reach out to them. You need to have those conversations. You need to build up an idea of what they buy, the yeah. frequency of their order, uh, what their expectations are, and. You, know, you build up that rapport, you build up your credibility, they start off giving you a small order and then you build up that trust and that relationship over time, whereas when all of a sudden that flips and you've got somebody ringing you up for you know, 10, 20, 30 tonne worth of steel and they want it... Yesterday, and you know, they, they just want to buy from you because they think that, that you're the only person they can buy from. You know, it's really still important that we then continue to ensure that we, you know, that the customer gets exactly what they want, and we give them the good service. So I think it was, yeah, it was that flip, it was that flip around of having to learn. You've got you've got a much smaller window. To learn about exactly what that customer needs, and to make sure that you give them a good, a good delivery experience when they are when they're approaching you for uh, material, particularly on a you know, on a short expected lead time, uh, compared yeah. to when you're when you're prospecting and you've got a lot more time to be able to develop that relationship and really understand what the customer needs and, and wants before that first order actually comes comes through.
1: How much has it been of like educating your your client base of, or your customer base? Because I mean. At the moment, like you said, there's a shortage. There's a lot been going on over the last six months now. How has it been a case of educating them to come back and not just being used for why well, there's a shortage going on or been a, a pandemic going on? Because we all know from working in the industry, I suppose, is that sometimes you know you're picking up an order because you know your competitor doesn't have it or so on, and you think, well, oh, I've got to bank my money while I can. Some, they're probably not going to get an order again, you know, for, unless there's something else happens. I mean, how much is... How much is you know, educating people, being over this period of time, to be using you yeah, more regularly, I suppose.
3: I think it's you know it's about really ensuring that that initial. You know, and we understand that we you know we picked up a lot of new business out of out of necessity, and and therefore you know what you need to ensure is that customers don't revert back to the traditional method of buying materials uh, when. We emerge from from this uh, from, from this pandemic and and from the current um, supply chain issues that we that we that we're experiencing in the market. And the important thing around that is just to make sure that we you know, the customer customer needs to have a good experience from from doing business with with us. And if the customer has a good experience, then when things do revert back to normal, and if you can, especially if you can win. You know, not just one order, but a sequence, you know, a series of orders from new, new buyers. Then you know, we've got a lot of faith in, in the, uh, the, the the software that we have and our ability to go up and get materials. And therefore, you know, we believe that customers themselves or steel buyers themselves don't need a lot of educating when it comes to transacting online they, they are used to doing it in their personal lives mm-hmm. in the b2c um, capacity sometimes it's just about in in the professional environment mm-hmm. just getting them to to yes. make that just getting them to make that adjustment from you know just changing their work habits because we're all creatures of habits really yeah, yeah. And, and therefore i think the pandemic has really given us the opportunity to you know we've all been forced to reconsider what normal is mm-hmm. over the past six months and that in itself has provided the opportunity for us to Demonstrate to customers that you know, working with a you know, digital distributor uh, for their steel or for the metal um, purchasing requirements, you know, is actually, you know, it's uh, it's no more difficult than if yeah. you if you buy yeah. it offline, and in fact, it can bring huge benefits in terms of time and uh, and supply security.
1: What I was going to say is, obviously, we've spoken a lot of detail starting off on this podcast. For those who have maybe just heard of steel scout today and we've learned obviously doing digital i mean what is the process so if i'm a metal buyer now and i want to buy some erw tubes and box and coil whatever it may be what what would i experience Of so i go online onto a steel scout website i presume and what's kind of the process from there of how how it works for for that
3: kind of customer um so it, it, well, the customers we know that that initial contact from uh and that initial reach out from the customer can come in a number of ways, shapes, or forms. You know, we what's really important to us at that beginning of the journey is the customer feels that they can reach out to us. So you know, we'll take an email or we'll take a phone call. But we've we've also got our quick uh, quick quote builder on the Scout website uh, itself. So customers can go on, uh, specify exactly what they need for um, for for the job, and submit that through to us. And uh, we then uh, that. Uh, our system will then identify which suppliers in our network will be able to quote that job for them, and we'll typically get quotes back to customers in, as, depending on the complexity of the job that they've asked for, as little as 20 minutes, and, uh-huh. you know, and but usually under, usually under three hours, uh, you know, before you can get a quote back for them, and you know, that's usually not just one quote. We will typically gather three, four <coughs> quotes from our supplier network. So at the at the point that we give customers an offer, you know, we are confident that we are giving the customer the very best. Uh, you know, offer that we've been able to uh, to bring to them, and not necessarily the best price, but you know, sometimes customers will be lead time uh, reliant, and you know, uh, you know, it's it's really about well understanding exactly what the customer needs, and then giving them the uh, providing them with the quotes that best services uh, services that need.
0: Yeah, I used that site when when I was still working at Stock Services. I used it when you were really really new, and I gave you a, a horrible inquiry mm-hmm. on purpose, gave you the worst thing, I, and. and you were the quickest to quote. This isn't sponsored, by the way. <laughs> not not just uh, flying the flag for you, but yeah, it was the quickest quote to come back, and it was the best price. As it was, I didn't win the order, but you know that wasn't <laughs> the, the point of it. But it was interesting. Just I was just curious about how it worked and how it looked. And again, how quickly things came back, and it was
3: I was pretty impressed, really. It's all, and, and that's the that's the being the real catalyst for us is you know, we've built we built a software um, platform that we call. Uh, we call it the good supplier picker or, or GSP, and it literally does what it says on the tin. It takes that inquiry that the customer enters through our website yeah. and goes, I know, I, I can generate a list of suppliers. Across, doesn't matter where you are in the UK, doesn't matter what the product is, doesn't matter what the volume, what the volume, quite, the volume of that is. We can identify, you know, within our within our network of you know 90 to 100 suppliers, we can identify 10 suppliers who can who will be able to provide us with a price for that order. We've not had to touch that at that stage. It's come through to us from the customer and it's gone straight out to the suppliers and then before we know it we, we get the first prices back and that, that's how we we're able to, to service those requirements. And then when
1: applies to place the order then is that then delivered through your sales or is it delivered through your approved supplier list at house?
3: Yeah exactly so the suppliers so we, we don't hold any stock we don't have any distribution assets or transport of our own so everything that we quote uh, is fulfilled either by the supplier directly or through the or, or through a third party uh, delivery delivery provider um, that again is arranged through the supplier themselves so you know everything is logistically is done by the suppliers themselves what we what we're providing is the technology platform to be able to you know for for steel buyers give them access to a very very wide network of suppliers without having to do that much more work than mm. if they were just going to the regular suppliers, and for suppliers themselves, we're giving them access to an additional sales channel so we can bring business to them mm. that they wouldn't typically be seeing. I um, think, I'm, I'm, no, sorry, mate.
0: yeah, I was going to say, like what me and Mike were chatting about this, and it's been something we'd spoken about over the last couple of years. We just found it interesting that because you're the only channel that really connects the buyer to the supplier, as we spoke about now, then it? it's almost like Amazon, isn't it? Really, you can just buy online. But because me and Mike have both worked in the industry, we look at that and just think, well, surely you're facilitating the supplier to give them all these leads, so to speak. And then why wouldn't they just go direct? You know, these these people that are coming on SteelScout to purchase from you, it's almost convenient for them. They're learning the new supply chain that they can potentially use, but it also flips the other way around. So how are you kind of making sure that kind of, that doesn't happen?
3: Yeah, um, I think it's 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 really all about ensuring we have. It's not just about the. It's not just about that one deal or that one order. It's about ensuring that you're delivering a really positive customer experience um, for the buyer, mm. so they know that they want to come back and use SteelScout again and again and again. For the supplier, it's then around the way around the way that we support the supplier, provide them with analytics, provide them with. Feedback when they so when they lose uh, when they don't win an order we provide them with analytics to suggest to them exactly why they haven't won it so you know your lead time was out and and one of the one of the positive most positive elements of feedback that we get from suppliers themselves is that we're able to gather uh, intelligence from customers when they lose jobs that they wouldn't typically be able to get directly from. A, a customer within their yeah. own within their own network, so we get you know we, we we are usually able to tell a supplier exactly why they've not won an order, and yeah. I think that level of granularity when you can can provide that really then drives you know loyalty from both ends, and it's it's, it's really around the kind of service offering. And so I guess can, you pay them well as well, which always helps, but, doesn't you know, it? But as, as far as we're concerned the importance for us is yeah we, we don't we, we, we enter into every relationship with a buyer and supplier with that element of trust that we've got faith and confidence in our own product to say we're pretty sure that the buyer will come back to us and the supplier won't nick the lead and mm. you know by and large you know it's not to say it's never happened has but by and large, you know, the supply network that we've got in place is very, you know, very loyal supply network because they can see the, the value that we bring to them in terms of not just in terms of the orders and the sales channel that we're, that we're providing, but also the additional analytics and um, and uh, kind of digital um, kind of uh, benefits that we bring as part of our as part of our business model. And suppose the companies you're
1: supplying don't just buy. Erw tube, they they want you for so many different products that really, a ton of tube or a ton of coil, they're not they're saving so much more by coming through yourselves who's got the whole market haven't they? Where
3: yeah, you take a, you take a steel fabricator that will have <coughs> a very diverse mixed basket. They might you know they might buy quite a lot of sheet plate. They might buy. Heavy sections, they might buy a little bit of stainless and yeah. aluminium from time to time for those needs. If you can go to, go to one place, put all of your requirement in in into that one portal, and know that our software is going to identify. A stainless one, aluminium supplier for that bit, a section provider for this bit, a decoiler, a decoiler in the mild steel market for this bit of your order, and then bring it together as one quote, and you can transact that one order through a single trade account, a single credit account, and do it that way. Then you know it's much much easier for you know for companies to procure in that way, and it's also easier for the for the suppliers. You know the suppliers aren't having our suppliers don't have to sift through the bits of the uh, the bits of the inquiry that they don't want to serve because by the time we present it presented to them they only see the bit of the inquiry that they actually want to price and again right. that's a massive yeah. massive benefit and, adv- and, a, and an advantage to a supplier it saves them a lot of time.
1: Don't miss them Dice, receiving the inquiries yeah. that you <laughs> yeah, the first inquiry true. you want to re-
0: reject reject it straight away. because yeah. uh, it was the test search. You know you put it in your report here. Yeah. I remember it, sometimes you buy it. And then even though you're doing the, the procurement yourself for your business, you're getting test certs in, then you have to put them into your systems and stuff. And I suppose if you've got that centrally done, so you can just crack on with doing your job, which mm-hmm. is just getting out of there selling, it's a win-win really. And that's the benefit, it's the time-saving win. If we can flip it around, um, earlier on, Neil, you spoke about the McKinsey um, idea that we've basically whizzed on five years um, in digital because of the situation with COVID. Your business model, as we've heard now, has greatly benefited from digital during this lockdown period. Um, I want to touch you a couple of things. Firstly, how many years forward do you think SteelScout now are, given what's happened in the last six months? Um, and also, how do you think that's changed the plans and ambitions that you've got as a business because of this set of circumstances? I don't think we
2: have... You know, fast-forwarded the business any number of years. I think we, uh, we are on plan to where we want it to be. We had a clear plan from the start. Uh, you know, our, our ambition or vision, if you like, is to uh, positively, positively transform the market, change the market for both buyers and sellers. And um, I think we're doing that. And, uh, you know, the growth in our numbers, our customers, our repeat business is, is showing that that's working. Um, and uh, you know, if anything, this has just really accelerated the, the sort of behaviours that we needed to uh, uh, behaviour change we need for people to adopt to digital, um, and you know, really really helped us out there. So I don't, I wouldn't say that just, um, we've 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 sort of leapfrogged into the future, you know, by a number of years. Um, and I think we're still, uh, we you know we had a very very clear vision and the plan from the outset, and. Uh, uh, What's happened recently is we showed that we're doing the right things and moving in the right direction, so we, we very much plan to stay on that path, and um, you know, if anything, we've, we may have accelerated some of our new services that we're going to bring to market that we're developing for uh, buyers and sellers, uh, you know, just basically enhancing the, the basic products that we've, we've got now. Okay. And
0: obviously, there's a number of companies in the marketplace that have got their own online channels. People are obviously trying to sell their own stock through web stores at the moment, you're doing it slightly differently to the norm because you're not holding all that stock material and just distributing it centrally, but you're doing this as we've um, as we've heard, connecting everyone together, the buyers and the suppliers. How do you see the growth of digital in the metal sector? Because again, some of your reports quite accurately have said a lot of metal companies, they're quite um, archaic really in the way they run their businesses and you almost have to kick them into the you know the twenty first century really. Do you think a lot of people are going to look at what you're doing and start developing their own systems? How do you, how do you think things will change over the coming say 3 to 5 years?
2: Well, I think uh, as we've talked about, you know, this the, the pandemic has sort of almost kick-started the adoption of not kick-started but accelerated the adoption of digital and we hope that will continue. Mm. Um, we don't see that going backwards basically, you know, all around the world digital procurement is really sort of growing, you know, you, we see similar Services in China, in Germany, across Europe. So, this is really the way forward. And if you look at, you know, the, the broader B2B marketplace sector, which is like digital platforms connecting buyers and sellers, which is part of the model that we're we're with, it's uh, it's basically growing exponentially. You know, from I think there's 300 B2B marketplaces in Europe now compared to like 20 just 10 years ago. So you can see that explosion. Mm-hmm. So you can see the direction of travel. We we envisage that will continue and only grow. And people, don't forget, you know, the the people that use our services, like Carl mentioned, they they use digital services every single day of their lives. They they use Amazon, they use eBay, they use Skyscanner, they use Expedia, they use, you know, all these platforms, they use social media, and they're they're, they're basically, you know, interacting digitally all the time. And as the younger generation come through, uh, they'll expect more and more digital interactions, they'll expect all the benefits that they're used to having through their daily lives, you know, more speed, more efficiency, better service, really, really, you know, quick quick applications, those sorts of things, and they'll start to bring that into the into the, into the workplace as well. So I th- I, we see further penetration over the next, you know, two to five years. We don't think that it will be, you know, really, really rapid in terms of we won't go from where we are now to everyone adopting an AI platform within the next five years, but we, de- we definitely expect to see that steady adoption uh, of digital in what we do in procurement and other parts of the supply chain going forward
0: do you find many clients just order online don't talk to you at all and just place the orders has that increased or are you still having to talk to quite a few people
3: because i I prefer we do get some customers who will uh, happily submit their inquiry or if they're using steel scout direct go online and place their orders and Because that not, was not the, the that was the what was Metal Hub, wasn't it? Yes. It was yes. So, so we, will, you know, we have lots of buyers who, f- from a transactional perspective, mm. we don't interact with as part of the pricing or ordering process because they're very happy to use uh, the technology. However, they still also really like the fact that there is a.
2: They've got different. they've got a personal account manager.
3: You know, you know, the, 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 one of the things that is that that, that we all find frustrating in the B two C world is if we buy something online, then and something goes wrong, is being able to is, is then trying to find the phone number of customer services for an online company, which invariably never exists. So I think, you know, in my experience, when businesses buy digital products. They, the majority of them still expect to have the same level of customer service that they would get from a traditional service provider, and that does include having that human point of contact. You know, that person you can pick up the phone. You know, whether it be to help when something goes wrong, or just sometimes for support or for expertise. Especially, you know, and, and we we'll get customers pick up the phone to us sometimes to say, oh, "I'm trying to enter this product in the system. I'm trying to enter this new product in. I'm not really sure how to." Enter it, and then we can walk them through that that process where it's you know where it might be a product that they've not you know that, that they've not added in, and they're not sure where to put the put the dimensions because you know etc. So I think you know it is really important that they've got that person that can speak to, and it's not that's not just my observation confined to the metal sector either. I think if you look at the number of companies out there now that are in the tech space and in the digital um, space. Over recent years, I think they've started to realise that having that investing in account management and uh, customer success is the is the big buzzword. but mm-hmm. those type of strategies really pays off in terms of driving driving that long term customer loyalty, but also in terms of accelerating the development of the technology. So, so yeah. Therefore, what we've invested in is having a you know small team of account managers and business development managers, and their job is to look after buyers and suppliers and make sure that they are having the very best possible experience you know and that's you know that's a fit that's their physical experience in terms of does the is the steel that i ordered does it turn up on time is it the right quality you know have have i received my test certificates but also in terms of the digital experience you know am i getting am i getting out of um is, is my experience of using steel scouts technology you know, is it is it giving me the is it bringing me the value that I wanted at the at the point that I first engaged with with, with them, and therefore, if it's not, what is it that we can do to continue developing um, our features and our and our technology to be able to make that experience more um, more user friendly over over the coming over the coming months? It's, de- it's yeah.
0: definitely the way forward. I mean, I know. Um, have you heard of a company called Zappos? They're part of they're part part not they? They were bought. But the guy who set that up, that they basically sell shoes in America. Um, but they have teams of people that work effectively like in a call centre. But rather than that typical call centre mentality where you're sat on hold for ages, it's immediate pickup. They always over-deliver over with lead times and things like that. And you can literally bring Zappos up and ask them to order you a pizza if you want. And they'd still do it because it's all about creating this really good customer service because I think that idea of customer service is something people are talking more about nowadays. But over recent years it's been just terrible, hasn't it? You know, you're just ring call centres in different countries, never been able to get the service, never been able to get that help. So I think to integrate a digital solution but also have good quality service with people that you can ring up and they, they're aware when you've placed the order they can see it on a system. It definitely helps. But I just I just wonder how you're going to try going forward it would be logical <laughs> to have more of the transactions just go straight through the system mm-hmm. without just increasing headcount mm-hmm. so you know is that a strategy that you're trying to employ and again how are you going to do that over the coming years to drive more of your sales direct online rather than the still the more transactional nature that it, that it kind of is still a little bit at the moment
2: I mean, at the end of the day, we we know that this is a relationship-driven business, right? So yeah. we always want to be able to offer the personal touch. Um, and like, you know, unlike some other platforms, um, I mean, you, you mentioned Zappos, which became a bit of a case study a few years ago, as you know. Did you read the book? No, but I've speaking uh, yeah, yes, in marketing it became a, a case study for super brands who yeah. might offer a commodity product but differentiate themselves purely on service. Um, and we want to maintain that personal touch throughout and, and unlike some platforms which make it very, very difficult for you to get in contact with them, you know, it's basically you have to, to you, have to, you have to dig really deep, try 10 clicks or whatever that and almost good. almost give up um, we don't ever want to be that, that company, we offer any route that you want to contact us, it's available so we can, you can phone us, you can email us you can, you can tra- transact completely online without talking to us Telex. Um, yeah, <laughs> not quite telex or fax. Um, and we always want to maintain that. As you quite rightly say, you know, it's more efficient for us and efficient for uh, customers, whether it be buyers suppliers, to interact digitally, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we just want to make the... The only way to really do that is to keep on building out our platform and our customer experience to make it almost, quote as if you like, an excellent customer service or an excellent... Um, user experience yeah every that, time that every time that they'll yeah. just want to keep coming back and therefore they don't need to talk to us so that's basically how we want to deliver on that which is basically keep on improving on the tech and the experience and you know we've got customer experience teams that do with that. we've got designers we've got front-end guys that all they do is focus on how to make that experience better mm-hmm. and that's basically how if we don't do that then people won't use the platform or we'll never get that shit
1: How have you found marketing it compared to obviously previous projects with other big
2: brands? You know, in some ways, it's very, very similar. So um, I've worked in uh, many different businesses, you know, largely digital, but that have all faced similar challenges. And however forward you think a, and the sector is, you often find that when you work in it, it's actually like, you know, well behind the curve digitally. And that can go for, you know, I've worked in education and uh, trying to be in a group of companies that was at the forefront of transforming education to bring uh, education online. We say we face many, many of the similar challenges. You know, education uh, is very traditional. It's driven by academics, you know, basically. And the whole positioning of a a similar platform to SteelScal in a way, which was a, uh, you know, a, a platform which took... Education content from suppliers, which was basically universities, and then put it out to people who wanted it, people who want to learn. We faced many, many of the same challenges, you know, and, and uh, some some of academia is just as hard to shift as, uh, you know, some of the metal distribution uh, sector. So there are there a lot of similarities there.
0: When you um, first at still Scout up, um, a metal hub, you did a lot of there was a lot of different media channels that you were pushing the business out on, which is the norm. You know, you're new, you're fresh, you've just got to get your um, get your face out, so to speak. You've recently been doing billboard campaigns, again, which we haven't seen for, uh, for a few years. Why did you choose to go back down? Because that's obviously a little bit more antiquated, a bit of an, an older-fashioned type of uh, way of bringing awareness to the brand. How come you went back to try something that you were trying a couple of years back? What was the reasoning?
2: So I don't see outdoor, yeah, out of home or outdoor uh, posters, whatever you want to call it, as antiquated. For us, it's a, it's, a, it's a channel to market, it's a channel to reach your audience. You use that as a tool in your toolkit to try and reach your audience wherever you think they are. It, it, it suited us at this specific time because we wanted to do a very sp- a local, specific marketing campaign mm-hmm. focused on a particular region, which was this region, yeah. actually. Uh, Birmingham Midlands uh, East Midlands and so it served us really well because it's a, it's a it's a really good way to capture uh, an audience on their way to to and from a premises which you know a lot of our customers need still to do yeah. they need to create things so it was a, a, an ideal channel for us but again it wasn't a channel to be used in isolation and thought we'd just do an outdoor campaign we, uh, we are a multi-channel business. We use all the channels that we think are right for our business. You know, we try DM, we try digital, we try social, we try search, we do email, we do out of home, we do, you know, print, we do magazines, we do everything that we think is right for our business. Yeah. And in this case, uh, doing a local campaign using outdoor was absolutely the right fit. But then we were able to support that by building a package of support around that. You know, we, we also did social media in the region. We did targeted search in the region. Yeah. Because Carl mentioned at the beginning, one channel alone yeah, doesn't shift work. the perception. Yeah. It all has to work in tandem. So, you know, typically you'll hear lots of different marketing, you know, stuff said about five touch points or seven touch points or whatever. The minute you need to basically get in front of a customer more than once. So, mm-hmm. uh, outdoor was the right tool for us for this campaign.
3: We also, if you, if you look at that recent billboard campaign, uh, we actually used our own. Market data to understand where not only where our buyers our existing buyers were but where the buyers that we wanted to recruit were, so we hand picked our billboard locations because we knew that there would be a minimum number of companies that were that were located within a five minute drive of that particular billboard or we were site so every single billboard that we that we cited was put there very intentionally. As Neil's already said, we then supported that with display campaigns in th- on things like Facebook and on LinkedIn. So you know, users in those areas, you know, and the look and feel of those were very much like the billboards. So you yeah, see the course. billboards, you see the ads, and then we, we from a sales perspective, I run the sales team, and from a sales perspective, we then reinforced that then by making outbound sales calls to those companies. So we knew the companies that were located within a five-minute drive or less. Those billboards. Um, in the second and third week of that campaign, we were speaking to those customers and, you know, essentially trying to sell our products and services to them. And but you know, the, the hope is by then, either they've already seen that billboard or seen the display ad, and therefore have the brand awareness or if they don't have it on that day maybe that evening when they're driving home from work they'll drive past the billboards and then realize oh i was just having a conversation with uh, a guy from steel scout i'll give him a call tomorrow maybe send them the inquiry um so it was it was really about making sure that there was a that, that as we said that blended approach to ensure that you had not just that traditional channel but some of the more modern techniques and, and utilizing data to be able to harness that uh, marketing channel as as effectively as we could
0: What's on the agenda going forward for Steelscape?
2: lot. so well take, let's take branding for a start so um, as you, we've talked about you know from the beginning we, we had two services called uh, Metal Hub and SteelScout. yeah uh, and we actually took the opportunity uh, earlier this summer around June to actually uh, rebrand our business. Uh, to make it easier to understand for basically our customers, suppliers, everybody. And so instead of having two completely separate brands and uh, um, you know didn't really interact or have any connection, we uh, decided to create a master brand or a brand umbrella, you know, if you want a better term, which we uh, we took the Steel Scout name and then we repositioned the two services we had and uh, rebranded them. So what was formerly known as Steel Scout is now known as Steel Scout Procure and the what's known as Metal Hub is now known as Scout Direct. So hopefully people will now see the skills scout brand and be able to actually say, okay, that's a Scout product and service. Yeah. And going forward, we looked to build out that brand and build out those services. So we're already working on a couple of other new services that really address, well, one of them really addresses one of the pain points that the survey raised. So one of the key things that came out of that, in fact, the, the number one thing that came out of that survey was that um, people wanted more visibility to their supply chains, yeah. Uh, and the second one was um, they wanted a broader supply network. And so, you know, off the back of that survey, we were able to pivot quite quickly and develop a service which is exactly about giving more visibility. So we're actually uh, trialling that now with a couple of suppliers, and we hope to be able to roll that out um, early next year. And uh, Carla is a private marketplace, so that's another yeah. an- another service that we're looking at. So really, for us. There's a couple of strands we're looking at. One is improving the baseline services we've got, which is effectively still scout, direct and procure, making it as as we can. We've talked about enhancing the user experience and that will have the knock-on effect of bringing in more people digitally. So that's one thing we look at constantly. And then it's developing new services uh, to serve more sectors and more segments of the market, whether it be suppliers uh, and or buyers.
0: Okay. And just finally, we always ask this, it's my favourite bit. (laughs) We'll start with you, Carl. Okay. What is the biggest mistake you've made in your career today? <laughs> I'm talking about horrendous, because you've definitely done it. it's definitely in yeah, your yeah. boy Lewis, isn't it? You can see with Carl when you meet him, you're like, that's a guy who's definitely made <laughs> a, a considerable <laughs> one in
3: his career. So, the the, the biggest blunder that I ever. I'm uh, the only one that just springs to mind because of the many. So yeah, no, absolutely <laughs> We've all, So I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in learning through uh, learning through one's mistakes, and uh, it's a good, it's a good learning opportunity. But uh, probably, my, I wouldn't say uh, yes, yeah, the one that comes to mind because he was my first big. He's digging, right? So, I, I, so my first ever management. Uh, position and it was actually in my previous life even before the steel sector. Um, so I, I worked um, for about three or four years for Tesco, and uh, that's where I did my first management. Yeah. through a uh, training scheme, and uh, I was in a uh, I was a training manager in a Tesco store, and I managed somehow managed in the middle of December to order. Uh, a huge consignment of frozen beef burgers, which would usually be um, great right in the middle of uh, great right in the middle of summer, um, to my local store. And when I tried sending them back to the supplier, um, there was no surprise that the supplier didn't actually want no. um, want them to come back. So uh, we ended up with uh, burgers on special offer on the promotion end of uh, the Tesco store, uh, Just right, in the run up to, like, right in the run-up to Christmas.
0: Isn't like a central purchasing system? I mean. <laughs>
3: Idiots! Like no, no, there, there wasn't at the time. I was, it certainly wasn't uh, wasn't uh, idiot proof. So I think I must have added a. Uh, we were we were mapping the uh, the, the, the frozen food section, out and uh, I think I'd managed to put a zero in um, the, the the wrong part of the uh, the wrong part of the form. And then before we know it, we were we were doing a barbecue uh, a barbecue promotion in the in the middle of January. I, I
1: did the same mistake when I worked at ASDA when I was working in the bakery, and I put the wrong amount of yeast. It was like say like a hundred packs but it was like a lot. I don't think it was more than a thousand, I think it was ten thousand. We had like the most amount of yeast. Yeah. And if it had been COVID, we'd have sold it all like, you know, yeah. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, it's ten years, COVID was ten yeah. years too late for the amount of yeast we had. But uh yeah, I think we had more yeast than Warburton's or something. <laughs> it was stupid.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Just kept coming yeah. Long yeah. Long after lorry yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh well. And how about yourself,
2: Neil? a difficult one so a um, skeleton in there somewhere <laughs> loads. Uh, I, I also learn uh, a great you know I think that you should learn my your mistakes that's probably why I've made so many um, but the, the, I think the biggest one that springs to mind is probably uh, it's again it's about spend and you know I ended up overspending on a project by at least double what it what it, it should have been what it started out as and you know had a other large implications down the line yeah <laughs> at
0: least it was only double yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was only double so uh, yeah, you know, yeah. okay. I wish HS2 was only double
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah it was not our tune of overspending about 100 billion like uh, HS2 but uh, you know it was uh, it was considered about money for the size of the business
0: yeah
2: did you get a rap on the knuckles
0: for uh, this yeah
2: or? I got a, a talking to you by the CEO on that one Is did you one? stay in this position or did you uh, did you kind of uh, disappear <laughs> sideways a <laughs> well, great opportunity for less money elsewhere yeah to be an, an exec somewhere <laughs> <laughs> for any of like, stockholders
1: out there who want to have a chat with yourselves what's the best way of what's the best way of doing it
3: um, so yeah I think just to uh, find us find us online Steelscout uh, our details are um, on, on the website um, you can email us sales at Yeah. so you know uh, and uh, uh, but yeah our phone numbers and uh, details and, but also reach out to either Steelscout directly or um, to either myself or Neil through, uh, through through LinkedIn is another great way to, to, um, to, to get in touch alright buddy roll the music then Pete no problem cheers guys
1: thank you thanks guys
0: So that's the, the podcast done, Mike. I know. That's our, that's our seventh one, wasn't it? Seventh, yeah. Seventh. You got another I keep in. saying every time that we're going to up the frequency, but this year, 2021, nah, we're it's... definitely going to up the frequency of these podcasts.
1: Well, let's hope so, mate. Boris ain't doing us any
0: favours, is he? <laughs> no, it is difficult, isn't it, to, um, to get on site with people when you're not allowed yeah. out. No, that's right, yeah. I mean, I'd be interested to
1: listen to what the the listeners want not viewers yeah of what that the type of people that they want on here you know what they want and some of the topics
0: yeah I mean the best way to get in contact with us is through LinkedIn if you're interested in featuring the show obviously get in contact with us or if there's specific topics that um, that you want us to talk about Obviously give us a shout as well. What we'd also ask though is if you could share the podcast. So if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast today and you're working with people in the same industry or just people that you know that think might might enjoy what they've heard, then by all means give it a share.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely give it a share. And obviously then that way it just organically grows, doesn't it?
0: That's the uh that's the idea anyway. See, I do listen to you. See the way I used it, organically grows. Yeah. And the other thing you can do is subscribe as well. We push the podcast out every time we we record a new one. But if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Deezer or any any of the platforms that you can listen to podcasts on, get yourself subscribed and then each time a new episode comes out, you'll get a notification. Thank you for listening. Take it easy.